0: Assuming all hearts are free, we'll turn our attention to the Word of God. And I'd like to take our lesson reading this morning from the 32nd chapter of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to start with the first verse. And Matthew already knows where we're going. All I had to do was tell him Exodus 32, and I could see it in his face. Uh, and, And the title that I would like to use this morning is The War... At Mount Sinai. The war at Mount Sinai. Because I don't think a lot of times that we really understand all that took place at Mount Sinai. And I'll say this, I, I would say this, what happened on the top of Mount Sinai, I don't think any of us can really grasp or even imagine what Moses must have experienced when he was there talking to God face to face To the degree that when he came down, they would have to veil it. Because even those that didn't go up couldn't look upon Moses' face for the way that it shone. And so I would like for us to start there. Exodus chapter 32, we're going to read the first six verses just to get started. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together. Unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as this, for as this, for as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off your golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, for of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron and he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it in a molten and after he had made it a molten calf and they said these be thy gods O Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and Aaron saw it and he built an altar before it And Aaron made proclamation and said tomorrow is the feast or is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink, and rose up to play. And that is uh, that's where I would like to stop my lesson text this morning. And, and like I said, our title this morning is The War at Mount Sinai. And, uh, and so uh, we get into this verse of Scripture. And the very first thing that, that really is amazing, if other than Moses' is being up on the mount, is that you've got a group of people here that's gathered at the base of this mountain that God said you can't even touch the mountain, right? Because if you even touch the mountain, uh, you'll die. Uh, you can't touch it. And so you've got this group of people here. And they have seen miraculous things, haven't they? They have seen God uh, plague Egypt with ten plagues. Uh, they have seen the firstborn of all the land of Egypt, whether it be man or beast, die. Uh, and they have seen and witnessed God Personally, leading them out of Egypt, a pillar of fire by day, uh, a pillar of fire by night, my, my, excuse me, and a pillar of a cloud by day. And, and they had witnessed that. They had seen Moses stand at the banks of the Red Sea and when he lifted up his staff, God divided the Red Sea so that they walked across it on dry ground. And here, uh, they get across and Egypt decides they're going to follow after. Pharaoh sends his uh, armies after them and God swallows them up with the sea. They had seen miraculous things, hadn't they? And here they find themselves at the base of Mount Sinai. And, folks, you may think that you're going to be grateful to God for the things that He's done. They witnessed things that we honestly can't even imagine seeing. And here they stand, and and, and just because it's been 40 days, and well, 40 days since they've seen uh, Moses, that was how long their faith lasted them. It lasted them 40 days. After 40 days, they had decided, oh, well, uh, I guess Moses wasn't the guy that we thought he was, uh, so we're just going to do our own thing here, uh, and that's what the—that's one of the problems that we see in Christianity today. Is when we don't get the res, the expected results that we want, we think, well, I guess we'll just do our own thing now. Uh, we see this in the New Testament when Peter, after the Lord has ascended back into heaven, uh, 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 he, Peter is there. Uh, maybe it was after the death on the cross. I'd have to go back and reread this. But Peter is, is there, and, and he's gathered with the other apostles, uh, and they don't know what to do. It was before he was resurrected. <laughs> and they don't know what to do, and Peter goes, well, I'm just going to go fishing. And the rest of the apostles said, well, That sounds like a good idea let's go fishing and they tarried that whole night and they never caught anything and their and all their labors were unproductive and they were unfruitful and so we got to look at this thing and say what is happening here what is happening to these people here at Sinai because they look at Moses and, and remember this cloud is encircled with the cloud, right? Uh, it's it's it, it the top of this mountain is consumed in the cloud. And there has thunderings and lightnings, and there's earth. This this is a crazy scene that we're seeing happen here. And honestly, the the Charlton Heston movie doesn't really do it justice for what all's going on. You've got amazing things happening here. And they decide that whatever's happened to Moses, we don't want that. Whatever his fate was, we don't want it. And and so they go to Aaron and they say, Hey, Aaron, here's what we want you to do. We want you to make us new gods, we want you to make us gods of gold. Uh, And Aaron uh, says, Well, sure. I think Aaron had a little bit of the number 2 complex going on and Aaron sees, well, I mean, I don't know what's happened to Moses, but I'm the I'm the guy now. And so uh, and so Aaron uh looks at him. Uh but but more than that it's it's worse because he has them come to him and uh and they make the request that he make them gods of gold, right? Uh, and uh and so uh and so Aaron says to them, Aaron says to them, he says, make us gods, I should say. Aaron says, okay, we'll break off the earrings from your wives, your sons, and your daughters and bring it to me. And, and, and he took that gold and he fashioned it into the form of a calf and uh, and then presented it and said, these be thy gods, O Israel. Now imagine that position, that you have witnessed God, in the living God, and do do things that are just unfathomable really beyond the realm of reason except the fact that it's supernatural and and God and God is almighty and God can do anything he wants they have witnessed that and, and here they turn around and they, and, and they have Aaron fashion this calf and Aaron presents it to the multitude of people there and says, these be your gods, O Israel. And then Aaron compounds his error even more by building an altar to those gods and before those gods. And then he has the audacity to make this statement that tomorrow is a feast To the Lord. Tomorrow's a feast to Jehovah. But these golden calves, this golden calf, or these golden calves that I have fashioned for you, these be thy gods. But now let's remember tomorrow is supposed to be a feast for Jehovah, for Yahweh. And so they rise up in the morning, offer their burnt offerings. and and their peace offerings, and then they sat down to eat and drink, and then after that, it says they rose up to play. And, And now here's where, here's where it kind of gets starts getting really interesting. Because you have this group of people that God is... Has has remained faithful to because of the promise that he made to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. But God sees this error, and this error is so great that I believe Samuel. If we go over into the fir- into First Samuel, uh, Samuel is the one who is really going to going clear this up for us in the in the in the highest degree. Samuel in the first chapter of uh, Samuel, I believe it's in the fifteenth chapter, made this statement that said that rebellion is as the of witchcraft. And now we're going to touch on that here in just a moment because uh, of what it says in the book of Deuteronomy here in the 18th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, the 10th through the 12th verse. It says, There shall not be found among you uh, uh, anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, that is, that they be sacrificed to the god Molech, uh, or that useth divination or an observer of times. Or an, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. All of those things are encompassed underneath the the heading, I guess you would say, of witchcraft, right? And, on, and, and witchcraft uh, is as the sin of idolatry. So you have these things occurring here now what's really important is what God says in the 12th verse and, and, and by the pen of, of Moses verse 12 for all that do these things are an abomination to the Lord so you've got a, peop- a group of people assembled at Sinai who God has miraculously delivered from oppression in Egypt and they are now an abomination Abomination in the sight of God. Isn't that amazing that that you could that I know I don't believe you can fall from grace, and I'm going to touch on why I believe they got there. But that's where we find them at. They're in a position where God says this statement in. In the 8th in, in the, in the verse, right? I'm going to touch on the 8th verse only, uh, but we're looking at the 7th through the 10th block. In the 8th verse, God says... Uh, I think it's in... No, in the 10th verse. Let's finish it up. 10th verse. Now, therefore, let me alone, God says to Moses, because Moses is advocating uh, for the people. But God says that this people is a stiff-necked people, meaning they're very stubborn... And God says, now therefore leave me alone, Moses, and let my wrath or my anger wax hot against them, that I may consume them. Isn't this a sad state of affairs? That the children of Israel, the Israelites, have gotten themselves into such a state that God has went from being the loving protector and the guiding God that delivered them out of Egypt to actually being the one who says, I'm just going to consume them, I'm done with them. And he says, and Moses, I'll take you and I'll start over with you. And essentially he's going to do a reboot here uh, in computer language, right? He's going to reboot Israel uh, 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 using Moses, and uh, and Moses uh, is going to go to bat, isn't he? Moses is going to go to bat. Moses is going to make an intercessory prayer for the children of Israel and recall to the memory of God not not how good the people that are assembled at the mountain are, but he's going to recall to the memory of God even though God knows these things, right? God is... God is omnipotent. He doesn't, or omniscient. He doesn't forget anything. He knows everything. But Moses says, God, but what about, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but what about the promise that you made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob? And and that intercessory prayer there that's spoken by Moses garners God to repent of the, and it, I'm going to say this, of the evil that he was going to do. He was going to kill them all. He was going to have them consumed. But God repented of that because of the intercessory prayer of Moses. Now, there are people all the time who say, will you just pray for me? Will you just pray for me, right? Folks, a real intercessory prayer it not asked for it. <laughs> but because of the love that one has for The people that he's making intercession for, when he finds out something bad is happening, he will intercede on their behalf. God intercedes on each one of our behalves every time. Jesus interceded on behalf of Peter before he denied him three times. And he says, but Peter, I've prayed for you. (laughs) I've already done it. (laughs) I know you're going to do this, but I've already prayed for you. It's already been forgiven. Right? Right? You're going to learn some things through it. And those things that you learn, I want you to use those things to strengthen the brethren. And, and so that's where you find yourself at. So God's, God repents himself of the evil uh, that he uh, uh, that He sought to do because uh, because of Moses' intercession that he had made. Uh, and now I want us to look here in the 15th verse because this is very important. God says, fine, I'm going to spare them. But I want you, because remember... The top of Mount Sinai is engulfed in the cloud, right? Uh, The people can't see above it. They don't know what's happening to Moses. And so that cloud, it starts to lift. Because God started to lift His protection, didn't He? Away from the children of Israel. The the protection you can't live in sin and expect God to just go to bat for you every time. It's just not feasible. And so what God does is the cloud starts to lift and He says, "Okay, Moses, you take a look at what they're doing." And it says Moses turned because that whole time when Moses went up the mountain, Moses's back was toward the ascent that he had made, wasn't it? Moses was looking straight ahead. He was looking up at God, and, uh, and Moses turns, and he looks down, and he sees an awful sight. 15th verse, it says, Moses turned and went down the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The two tables were written on both their sides. On the one side, and on the other side were they written. And the tables were the work of God. Written with the finger of God, I might add. Written with the finger of God, the tables were the work of God, and the writing, uh, the writing of God, graven upon tables. And now we're going we're to touch on why I say the war at Mount Sinai. Because you may say, well, there's no war taking place at Mount Sinai. Because there's no other army there. It's only the children of Israel. It's only the Israelites down at the base of the mountain. It's Moses at the top of the mountain. And God is present. And there's no war that's taking place at Mount Sinai. The the Amalekites aren't coming in. They've already defeated them. The Amorites are not coming in. Uh, None of the Girgashites are coming in or the Hittites. None of the people of the land are coming in and attacking them. What war are you talking about that's taking place at Mount Sinai? i tell you right now, Joshua knew there was a war taking place. Place at Mount Sinai, because as they come down the mountain in the seventeenth verse, it says, And Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, and he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. (laughs) There's a battle that's taking place, Moses. I can't. I don't know this sound, and it's very confusing to Joshua. And Joshua's statements, I believe, oftentimes gets glanced over here. But Joshua is the one who's really going to paint what their what 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 frivolity is taking place there at the base of Mount Sinai. Joshua is going to paint them in very clear terms, because in the 18th verse he says this, and he says it's not the voice of them that shout for mastery. And what that really means is they're not shouting with the with the shout of victory. That's not the shout of victory that you hear. And, and then he, he's going he's to juxtapose that with the very opposite of victory, correct? Which would be defeat. And he said, neither is it the voice of, of them that cry for being overcome. Right? This isn't the, the shout of, 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 of an army that is victorious. And it isn't the cry of, of, of an army that's defeated. This is a weird war that's taking place here because it's a spiritual war that's taking place. It's not a temporal war. The war that's taking place here it is a war between God and the world. <laughs> For lack of a better word, the war in the world. Because what has happened is the Israelites have forsaken God, the fount of living waters. They have forsaken the rock from which they were hewn and they have carved them out their own gods, hadn't they? And actually, they had, they had Aaron to fashion those gods. He says, But the noise is of them that sing, do I hear. Now, what's really interesting here is the word that's translated sing. Because the word, I, w- I want to get into it. I, I want to really, because this is really important to, 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 to the, what I'm trying to, sh- to show you here. It's a primitive root word, and it's probably identical with uh, Hebrews 60.30, which was anah, right? Hebrews 60.30, which is anah. And and Hebrews 60.30 has uh, tied with it or coupled with it this idea of looking down, right, or browbeating somebody. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, whenever I would get too big for my britches, my mom would always tell me that I better stop looking down my nose at people, right? kind of the same thing. Only the difference is who is it that they're looking on their nose at? Who is it that who is it possibly that they could be making light of or jesting of? Well, I believe if you look at the very beginning of this verse or this chapter, it'll tell you that one of them was Moses, right? We woke not what has become of him, and we we don't want to, We don't want to share in his lot, his cup. We don't want anything to do with him. So they're probably doing that. Secondarily, uh, given the fact that they've just had Aaron carve them out gods of gold, I, I bet they're making light of God. <laughs> And I'll tell you right now, if they're not doing it verbally, they're doing it with their actions. They're doing it with their actions. So that word, sing, there, they're not just singing. They're not singing songs of victory, and they're not singing songs of, which would be songs of mirth, right? Songs of joy. They're not singing songs of defeat. No nah, these are these songs the, these are songs of, of ridicule. <laughs> best way I know to put it. Well, you think there's a war happening there there is a major battle taking place here and there's going to be big casualties that happen as a result of this war and, and you, I'm, doing, I'm going to show you that here in just a minute. Moses comes down and and, and now I want to say this Joshua. Much younger than Moses, probably not really all that acquainted and familiar with the, with the ideas of what's going on here. But I'll tell you something right now, coming out of Egypt, Moses knew what was going on. Moses knew what was happening because he had already come out of an idolater's country and here he is. He comes down that mountain. Joshua has already really conveyed his kind of stupefaction, the, the fact that he doesn't really understand it entirely what's happening here uh, and, uh, and by, by making the statement, well, I hear it, there's a noise of war in the camp and, and I don't understand this song that's being played. Moses said, I understand it, Joshua, and I'll handle it. He gets down to the bottom of the mountain. He looks and he sees the calf. Verse 19, he sees the calf and he sees the dancing, right, around the calf. He sees the joyous, frivolous, the revelry that's taking place there around the calf. And Moses, in his anger, takes those stones that God had written with his own finger and he throws them down on the ground and they break because they they really served no purpose to that people at that time did it they had already turned their back on God. They were walking away. And, and folks, I'm telling you right now, in the day and age we live in, that's the real problem that we face. Uh, we've got too many that's turned their back on God. They don't care about church. I, I would argue that a lot of the people in authority in this country, uh, I think this word is used in a too hyperbolic of a sense as anti-Christian. Uh, that is to say that it's against Christianity. They don't believe in the principles of Christianity. They don't believe in the teachings of Christianity. They don't believe in the God of Christianity. They don't They reject it, just as the people here at Mount Sinai had. And Moses breaks those those tablets uh, that God had carved out. Uh, He takes that calf and grinds it into powder, and he makes them drink it. And then he says this. He comes to Aaron. He says, Hey, Aaron. It's your turn now. It's your turn to get questioned, Aaron, because you're the one I left in charge down here uh, while I was up on the mountain talking to God, getting directions from God, uh, getting the Word of God. Uh, You were supposed to be down here taking care of the flock. Aaron wasn't a very good shepherd, was he? you know why aaron wasn't a very good shepherd because aaron didn't uh, uh didn't understand didn't know i don't know which one you would say it is uh but aaron didn't uh, uh i'm going to say didn't uh, uh he probably understood it after that uh, but uh, uh he he didn't really understand that uh, the verse of scripture uh, Exodus chapter 23 uh, well I'd say he probably had to know it in Exodus 23 Thou shalt not raise a false report uh, put not thine hand with the wicked to be uh, to be an unrighteous witness and second verse Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil and that's exactly what Aaron had done he had followed a multitude to do evil they said make us gods of gold and instead uh, of saying you're not supposed to do that you're the children of the Lord Aaron said break me off your gold <laughs> <laughs> he said, break me your gold off your earrings of your wives and your sons and your daughters, uh, and uh, and I'll make them. Uh, and, Aaron, and Aaron's going to get questioned here by Moses. And Moses comes to him and says, what did this people, what did this people unto thee? What did they do to you, Aaron, to make you do this thing that you've done? Good night. Aaron goes, well, they they said make us gods of gold. (laughs) But Aaron said break off your earrings. So he's complicit in it, isn't he? I want to finish up with this. We're going to drop on down at the bottom of the chapter. 3,000 died at Mount Sinai that day. The Lord, at the behest of Moses, sent the Levites in among the children of Israel. 3,000 died in the war that took place at Mount Sinai today because of the rebellion that took place against God. The question that I have to ask is, how many is going to die in the future because of the rebellion against God? I bet it's way more than 3,000. And if you may be here this morning and you don't know the Lord in the free pardon forgiveness of sin, I want to tell you something right now. That won't be an excuse when you stand before the Lord at Judgment Day and you say, well, I don't know you. You say, say, these people people were supposed to know better, but I don't know any better. God said that all of creation testifies to the greatness of God, so much so, and I'm paraphrasing this, so much so that if you never heard about Him, creation in and of itself is enough to direct you to the knowledge that there is an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. That there is an Almighty that you need to seek. And uh, and, so, and so much so that when they stand before Him, they'll be without excuse. I've heard people say before all the time, well, what if they've never heard the gospel? I will say, I'll guarantee you, they've seen creation. <laughs> they've seen the stars in the sky. They've seen the sun and the moon. They've seen uh, the plants, how they grow and they regenerate every year. And just in that fact, uh, now that doesn't happen everywhere, obviously. But just in that fact of that regeneration that takes place testifies that there is a God. There is a God. Let's finish up here. Moses is going to make intercession a second time down at the end of this chapter. And, and I would say this, I, I would say this, not just amongst... the. Uh, not just amongst missionary Baptist churches, but I would say just in general, those of us that know the Lord, we've got to do some surveying, don't we? And we've got to say, Lord, point out my sin and help me, and help me to be done with it forever. We can't, we can't, we can't expect to have the protection of God, as I already said, and and. And live in, and live in sin. It just it's, those two things are diametrically opposed. And so Moses is going to make another. He is going to make another intercession on their behalf. In verse thirty-one, Moses returns to the Lord and says, "Oh, this people have sinned a great sin. I, there's no denying it, Lord." And that word sin there, when he says, "Oh, this people have sinned a great sin." Uh, He's going to touch on this here. They made them gods of gold. Verse 32, he says, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. Now what that word there means, and most people have lost sight of this today. What that word means is if you'll forgive the offense, Lord. Because most people don't understand that sin in the presence of God is an offense to him. And it warrants forgiveness. And so if you're here today and you've never been forgiven, maybe it was from dead works, right? Because those dry bones haven't been brought to life yet. Maybe it's from dead works. You're only going to repent from dead works one time. But that repentance, we we, we need a pretty healthy dose of repentance daily because there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. That's from Ecclesiastes 7.20. And so we're going to look at this. And he says, if not, Moses says this. Look here. Moses is saying, I'm going to fall on the sword. If you won't forgive them, Lord, do me a favor. And if not, blot me. This is really important. And I don't think this really gets the, its due. Moses says to to, the, to God on behalf of the children of Israel. God, if you won't forgive them, blot me out of your book. Blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And folks, that book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. And the only way you get in there is the blood of Jesus has to be applied. And I'll tell you right now, when you get under conviction, there's a war that's going to happen, isn't it? And you're going to be torn in two different ways. You're, you're, the devil's going to tell you you don't need it. Uh, he's going to tell you you can't get it. He's going to tell you that it's too far away. He's going to tell you that God's unknowable. But God is very noble, and God is near, nigh unto those that happily would seek after Him. And God, and God is a forgiving God, as the book of Jonah teaches us, and He will forgive all sin because the blood of Jesus Christ will wash away all sin, all the sin of mankind. But, but, this sin. Now, I, I want to say this. There's often said, what's the unforgivable sin? And we always say the sin of unbelief, right? And it is the sin of unbelief because these people here, even though they are the Israelites, they don't know the Lord. They are exactly like the church at Sardis which has a name that they live but inwardly are full of dead men's bones. Folks, and when you, when you, when you, make, a, when you make a profession that you're going to walk a certain way and then you fall away from it, to bring you back again is impossible. And you don't believe that, you go and read the account of Simon the sorcerer who, after seeing the apostles lay their hands on those that were saved by the ph- preaching of Philip there in Samaria, he went and he made inquiry of them said, How much is it going to cost for me to be able to do that? And they looked at Simon. And, and I want to tell you, the people who say that, uh, that baptism saves you, um, the Campbellites, right? Uh, they, looked, he looked, they looked at Simon, who had been baptized by Philip already, and they said, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. Secondarily, they said, and thou art not right with God. In other words, they said, you're not saved. You don't know what you're talking about, or you wouldn't have made such a silly statement such as that. We don't have the boldness to do that nowadays. We don't have the boldness. We want to make excuse. We don't have the boldness to do that. But but Moses said, "Block me, Lord, out of the book. Listen to what the Lord says. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angels shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit... I will visit their sin upon them. Why is that? Because God said in the preceding verse, And the Lord said to Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of the book of life. Why do you think that God does not rejoice at the death of the wicked? Because God's desire is that everyone would be saved. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord and the free pardon forgiveness of sin, today's a day that you need to seek Him for the, for the salvation of your soul. Because if you die without the protection of the blood of Christ, God will visit your sin upon you because blessed is the man to whom God does not impute iniquity, right? In other words, blessed is the man to whom God does not impute sin. Instead, blessed is the man to whom God imputes Righteousness, And that's what you'll be lacking when you stand before the God that day, is you'll be lacking the imputed righteousness, righteousness of God, which is the only thing that can qualify us to enter heaven. And it comes about by the application of the blood of Christ. Brother, brother uh, uh, I'll get your name right here in a minute. I'm just a little hyped up. Uh, brother Williams, if we could have a song, please.